Welcome to Chapter 3 of the Jesus Adventure, a study in the spirituality training system of Jesus of Nazareth. Hello, and thank you for coming to our third chapter in the Jesus Adventure series. We're completing the first section on discovering the calling of Jesus. If you've not listened to Chapter 1 and 2, we encourage you to do that first, as this is a progressive study that builds one step upon another. And as always, we start by honoring and inviting God to teach us with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. Please guide us and help us to discover how to follow Jesus in his adventure and experience every great thing you intend for us. Help us to know how to discern his voice and his leading so that we can faithfully do what he teaches. By his authority we pray indeed. Well, this is chapter 3, Following Jesus, Discovering the Way of His Adventure. Now, as we discovered in the last segment, God has been calling out to all of humanity with an invitation to drink from his fountain, to dine at his table. And Jesus came to firmly, faithfully establish that invitation for all time and make it available to everyone everywhere. This was never for any select group, but has always been intended to be passed on from one apprentice to another for all times until he returns. This is the way of Jesus. And today, as it was when he first began calling his apprentices, he is calling ordinary people still to follow him and join in what he's doing, while we benefit from all that he has for us on the way. What did Jesus intend for people to understand? First, in your mind, try to strip away all of the stereotypes and all of the religious jargon you may have heard, and instead, see Jesus as a man who has something great to offer, a man who is generous enough to share something really incredible with others. A man who's so benevolent and generous and so faithful that he gave up everything else so that he could share that great treasure with ordinary people like you and I. Indeed, with everyone who will receive it. Because while Jesus is no mere man, he did in fact give up his royal authority in the heavenly realm to come down in the form of a servant with an incredible offer from God. When Jesus called his apprentices, he called them saying, follow me. But what does that mean? Jesus called ordinary people to follow him, regular men and women. In fact, very few of his early followers were rich or powerful. Most were extremely ordinary. Some of them were really rough characters. Some were messy, difficult characters. The most remarkable thing about Jesus' followers is that they were mostly unremarkable from the world's perspective. The most prominent guys weren't scholars or small business people and possibly not even very successful business people. Now that gives me hope. You don't have to become someone special or be someone special to get God's attention. He's calling people that others have ignored. He's calling folks just like most of us. And that calling has an implied significance. It infers that there is a great consequence involved. It's no small thing to hear this calling from God. What's interesting is that there are many ways that Jesus could have called his followers. You see, in the original language of the New Testament, there's at least five options in the language, each with a distinct meaning for how he's calling people to follow him. Now, he could have said, join my group, like joining a fan club. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. He could have said, follow along and check this out, investigate me. But that's not the word he used. That's not what he said either. There's also a word that means chase and aggressively pursue until you seize hold, like an animal stalking a prey. But that's also not what Jesus said. There's a word that means get behind me and follow me blindly or ignorantly like a slave. But you know, Jesus didn't use that one either. 
Instead, the word Jesus used for follow me is the word which means come with me. Let's do something together. You see, Jesus is inviting us to join him personally to study under him and partner in his work like an apprentice. It's interesting because that's exactly what he would have done in Joseph's carpenter shop growing up as a boy. No doubt, he was a well-trained master carpenter before his adoptive father, Joseph, died. For this reason, we use the term apprentice rather than disciple in this Jesus Adventure Discovery Series. Why? Because language has changed a lot over the centuries. In today's language, we think of a disciple more as a person who studies theory. But Jesus was training his people to be action-oriented, doers of his amazing teachings, not the kind of people who think a lot about it without doing anything. You see, Jesus is a man of action, and so are his apprentices. He's calling us to get involved in his work, not merely be fans. He wants us to engage personally with himself in his mission and train us to function in that mission as if we were trained by a master carpenter. It's an interactive engagement, a partnership. Jesus is relational, and he's calling us to follow him by being an apprentice, a person who can do what he did when he was on the earth. So many people mistake this and think that they should be a spectator or an investigator, a critic, or even a hunter of sinners. But no, Jesus is looking for apprentices to train under his guidance, to be empowered doers of his teachings, doers of what he did when he was here on earth. This is a hands-on training and a spiritual journey for everyday people. It's a real life-giving empowerment program. Well, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, it tells us, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen and were casting their nets into the lake. And Jesus said to them, follow me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. Right then, the two brothers dropped their nets and went with him. It tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Now, another version of the Bible translates that calling this way, saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this reveals something interesting about how Jesus wants to work with us as his apprentices. He will use our abilities. He's also asking us to let him develop greater abilities in us. He wants to bring us into his spiritually empowered program, his kingdom of heaven program. He does not expect us to do this out of our own natural ability, rather to develop our spiritual ability that he gives us. And while doing what he brings, doing that, he brings out our personality and skills into the process. He empowers both the spiritual and personality abilities of who we are, building them into the purposes that he has for us, for each of us, in a unique and beautiful way. One more thing this reminds us is that when we know the right thing to do, we should take action, just like these guys did. The accounts in the four Gospels tell us there were many hundreds of people who were called to follow Jesus throughout the region of Galilee and Judea. And for a time, many did. What made these guys unique is that they answered the call with action when the time was right. They had seen and heard about Jesus' teaching. They knew some of his story, but they didn't wait to know everything. They took action and trusted his character. And this is a pattern for each of us to discover because this is where the amazing things happen. Now let's talk about what that looked like for other apprentices who also walked away from things. Mary Magdalene received healing in her spirit and left behind her shame. She became a pivotal player in the early days of his work in Galilee and Judea, and only God knows how much more. 
Simon Zelotes abandoned the hate and fury that led to his terrorist anarchy to become a world changer, a man of peace and light. Nathaniel left his lethargic apathy to become a man of action and purpose and influence in his nation and beyond. Matthew left the wealth and power of his tax-collecting booth to become one of the most famous writers of all times, chronicling the work and teachings of Jesus in the greatest detail. And eventually, Thomas left behind his doubting to become one of the most confident apprentices, traveling all the way into the very heart of India, teaching people to trust in Jesus by faith. Perhaps this would be a good time to ask yourself, what do you need to let go of in order to follow Jesus? What could possibly be keeping you from experiencing this amazing transforming spirit by following him on his incredible adventure? All of us are called to follow him, but few have the courage to trust him. What we discover is that we can let go of the things that hold us back when we realize that anything that keeps us from trusting and following him is actually bondage that enslaves us. The promise of Jesus is that we find much more and much greater things ahead than what we leave behind. Whatever you walk away from, whatever has a grip on your life, will never really satisfy you. It never delight you or fulfill you as much as a relationship with the Savior. He leads us into a life journey that fulfills our needs and refreshes the soul, greater than anything else we can find or imagine. His call empowers us to let go of the chains. He always gives more than what we leave behind, but we do need to understand there are things to leave behind. One of the things that challenges us as we learn to follow Jesus is the challenge that we don't have to be perfect. In fact, if we think we are perfect or we pretend to be perfect, it will actually hinder our spiritual growth and keep us from experiencing the power of his promises and his presence. He wants us to be real. Jesus wants us to actually stop hiding, stop pretending, stop living by pride, start living by humbling ourselves, facing the truth. You see, pride is a huge burden that holds us back. You see, Jesus said, if you're tired from carrying heavy burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. Take the yoke I give you, put it on your shoulders and learn from me. I am gentle and humble and you will find rest. This yoke is easy to bear and this burden is light. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. What's interesting is that Jesus offers this rest to those who follow him. He's not asking us to do what's impossible or to exhaust ourselves pretending to be something that we're not capable of being. He's promising that if we join him, he will do the impossible that we cannot do. That includes every aspect of our lives. This carrying of the load is an offer exclusively to his people. Yet many reject it and try to carry impossible things themselves. Jesus is saying, don't do that. If you're already doing it, stop. Let him lead. Let him do the impossible. Now, with most of the followers of Jesus, we see people making mistakes, saying the wrong thing, often boldly bungling, sometimes timidly cowering, very imperfect people. We don't see them living flawlessly. Do you know who was the one guy that seemed to be the most well put together? Just guess. Well, it was Judas. Yes, Judas Iscariot, the guy who ultimately betrays Jesus. He was so perfectly capable and self-confident that they let him carry the money. He seemed organized and trustworthy, apparently. They didn't trust each other, but everyone seemed to agree that Judas had things in order. No one else was responsible enough to carry the purse in their perspective. 
You see, Judas Iscariot seemed to be that one respectable guy, right up until he betrayed Jesus. Well, that's because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And the most interesting aspect of that is that Jesus, who knew their hearts, never once revealed to the others what he knew about Judas until the time for the betrayal came to happen. God is patient and he's kind. He's not willing that anyone should be lost. He carries us when we trust him. But he lets us partner with him at the same time. So take his yoke. That means let Jesus do the hard work. Let him build you up by being honest about who you really are. Don't be fake with God. Be real. This is the way of Jesus. He would rather have us be genuinely honest about who we are than pretending to be something we're not. Jesus is the opposite of what this world wants from us. He's the opposite of what most people expect. He's the opposite of what the world offers. He wants to carry your burden. He gives you rest and restores your soul because he really does want you to follow him in partnership with him. He's actually fixated on that. So who is the real Jesus? There's a lot of false ideas about Jesus. Some people deliberately made up lies about him even from the beginning. Over the centuries, others have created new lies. To know him, to be known by him, and to follow him, we need to know who he really is. Who does he say he is, and who does God say Jesus is? Well, decades ago, there was a game show, a TV game show, called To Tell the Truth. And in this show, there was a panel of four interviewers who would hear a story about an unusual person who was not very well known, but who had a very incredible story. And then three people would sit down and claim to be that person. The panel would interview them to try and figure out who was the real one, They would vote, and then at the end, the the announcer would say, Will the real Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so please stand up? Many times the interviewers would be astonished because the fakers would often be more convincing than the real person. There's a lot of fake ideas about Jesus, and we need to ask ourselves, Will the real Jesus please stand up? Well, it's been said to know him is to love him, which is a wonderful concept that's very true with regard to Jesus. But who is he really? Getting that right requires us to consider both the New Testament, the writings of the apprentices, and the Old Testament, the writings of the prophets. We're going to discover what his personally approved apprentices, who were called apostles in the Bible, his emissaries, and we're going to consider carefully the prophets of the Old Testament, who from the ancient times spoke about the Messiah, taught about the Christ and who he was to come. You see, those things must agree or were mistaken. If they're revealed by God and they agree with what Jesus tells us, then we know we have the truth. Because how can we follow him unless we know who he really is? We don't get into partnerships with people unless we know the person and we can trust their character. So to join in partnership with someone, we need to know they're worthy, right? Getting to know Jesus requires us to examine what he says and what the prophets say. But to begin with, the last prophet, John the Baptizer, called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was witnessed by several people who chose to follow Jesus. In his community, Jesus was known as a Nazarene, that is, a man from a rough town of Nazareth, of the greater region of Galilee of Israel. What's important 
of that is that God chose to bring Jesus into the world at a time and place that is considered a low place, a rough and rowdy place in a difficult time. Galilee and Nazareth and that region was where the undesirable people lived. In our terminology today, we'd say it was the armpit of their nation. As Jesus ministered and taught, he became called rabbi or teacher because he went throughout the region teaching and then his miracles convinced people that Jesus was more, so many began to call him the son of David, the great king of Israel. But what did he say of himself? He called himself the son of man and later the only begotten son of God. And he frequently referred to God as his father. By the end of his ministry, his followers called him Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of Israel, and eventually they called him the Savior of the world. But wait for just a second. We can make a mistake. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, it may seem he's claiming to be just another guy, an ordinary mortal person like us. And there's a point to the fact that this demonstrates that Jesus is very much a human being. But he's referring to the one the prophet Daniel teaches was to come to judge the world, who was the Ancient of Days, which literally means the one from beyond time. And this is the one whom Daniel says is the Son of Man. So what gives? Well, what does God say about all of this? Jesus' very name in the Hebrew literally means, I am salvation. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yeshua. His mother claims that an angel came and told her to give him that very name. How does that square up with God and what he has already told us in his word, in his message? In the Old Testament messages, we learn that God is very passionate, jealous even, about us knowing that he is alone called the Savior. In Isaiah 43, verse 11, he says, I, even I, am the Lord, Jehovah, and apart from me there is no Savior. In Hosea, chapter 13, verse 4, it says, I am the Lord, Jehovah, your God. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. Now, both these references are quoted from the New International Version of the Bible. But then the Old Testament writings of the Bible reveal that the Messiah is called Savior, which is what Jesus' apprentices called him when they were taking his great news out into the world. So is God confused, or is there a deeper mystery to find? Well, we can rest assured that God is not confused, but there is a much deeper mystery that our mortal minds can comprehend. After all, if God could be completely understood by mortal minds, he wouldn't be much of a God. Because let's face it, we can't even understand ourselves. How could we comprehend God except to trust what he says of himself? God is revealing profound things about himself and about Jesus as we examine his messages in the Bible. And he simply asks us to trust him. Take that step forward based on his faithfulness, based on his character, based on his word, and believe that he will lead us into good paths and show us how good he really is. Now, these are the kind of questions that his original followers, they wrestled with. Who is Jesus, really? Some would say that the title Messiah just means anointed, like being crowned or given a title. But it means much more in the Bible messages. It's much more than just an ordinary earthly anointing. It's more than earthly authority. It's more than just a blessing from God. To understand that, we have to realize that Messiah Jesus we call Jesus Christ, is not just a mere anointed man of some earthly realm. It tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 17, that while he was teaching his men, Jesus asked them a question about who they thought he really was. Now it says, what do people say about the Son of Man? The disciples answered, saying, 
Some people say you are John the Baptist or maybe Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Now Simon Peter spoke up saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus told him, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. You didn't discover this on your own. It was shown to you by my father in heaven. So then how could the disciples call Jesus savior? How could they call him the son of God? That would be blasphemous, an utter crime against the name of God, unless he's more than a mere man, more than an earthly king, more than a creation of God, but in truth is equal to God. In other words, God himself come in human flesh. How do we reconcile that? That mystery is something Christians have been wrestling with since the beginning. It confounds our mortal minds, but it should. God is so much greater than our limited mortal minds. We surely could never comprehend him completely, not in this life. And that's the point. As always, in order to understand the New Testament, we have to investigate the Old. You see, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And it's also true that the Old Testament is in the New revealed. Here, we will see a lot more clues if we're willing to let our simple, natural, mortal minds be challenged by this greater truth. Now, the last of the apprentices, John, who was the closest friend of Jesus among all of his followers, helps clear this question up for us, revealing the amazing wonder behind the mystery. In his book, The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Did you catch that? I mean, we really need to think about that again. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. How is that possible? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If you're struggling to comprehend it, it's because your mind is still darkened. Only when you have the revelation of the Spirit that Jesus came to bring us will you begin to comprehend what is telling us here. What it's telling us here is that Jesus came in the flesh, but that he himself was God. You see, in verse 14, it tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's quite a thing to ponder, but don't worry if it makes your mind tilt because God is revealing something about himself that we cannot possibly comprehend with our limited mortal minds in this time-space dimension. God is clearly not limited by this time-space dimension, but we are. So the even greater and more amazing part of the mystery is what he said in verse 14, that he came and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The eternal Son of God, who was never bound or limited by space or time, willingly accepted the role of a humble servant, becoming a mortal human like us, and died like us. He tasted death for us, and then he rose again from the grave. By his death, he proved he was human. By rising from the the dead on the third day, he proved that he was God. He has the power of life over death. 
Now here is where this makes the jaw drop, because when he rose from the grave, he did so in his human form. For all the rest of eternity, he will be in human form. He willingly became one of us so that we may become united with him for all of eternity. If that doesn't blow your mind, you didn't understand what I said, but that's okay. We'll figure it out together because that kind of love is unimaginable to us. And that's just the point. He wants us to receive something so amazing that we're quite unable to understand it. He wants us to he wants to reveal by his spirit something that we could never perceive by ourselves. This is the one who we're trusting ourselves to. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we need. This is the one our hearts crave. This is who we're following. He's passionate about giving us eternal life. He has come to rescue his lost rebel children from a broken, wretched, sin-filled, ugly, rebellious world system and that has chosen to run away from from him and hide from him. But this is the one who says, follow me, be my partner. This is the one who says, I will give you rest. This is the one who says, whoever believes and trusts in me shall never perish, but have everlasting life. This is the one who says, I am the way. In other words, he's saying to us, I am the journey. He's not merely Lord of the adventure. He is the adventure itself. That's right. He is the adventure itself in all of its amazement and all of its wonder. The most incredible and exciting aspect of the adventure is meeting, knowing, and being known by the Creator who came to know us personally in our broken world, wearing our own mortal flesh to be in union with us eternally. The more we get to know Him and discover the love He has for us, the more we come to love Him and want to know Him. His love and His kindness knows no bounds. He wants us to have assurance and confidence that we can belong to Him. In fact, He's urging us to understand this with everything He teaches, with every Old Testament prophet's promises, with every piece of His story. He wants us to discover this wonderful truth. Well, we've come to our adventure principle, which is the King of Eternity is the Savior who offers us an amazing eternal adventure in partnership with Him. Consider how Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Think about how Jesus shows us that God's love is sacrificial and filled with life like a mother giving birth to a newborn child. Are you, like a lamb, hungry enough and thirsty enough to be willing to follow this amazing shepherd? Are you hungry like a newborn child for the spirit that flows from God's compassionate heart? Can you trust that Jesus will guide you well and restore your soul? Can you believe that Jesus trusted the Father so much that he went willingly to a Roman cross for the people of this world, for the rebels that have left and run away from him? Does that kind of love and faithfulness reach into your soul and give you a willingness to go forward on this journey with God? I want to urge you now to stop and talk with God just by yourself. Tell him you need him. You want to be born of his spirit. You want Jesus to be your good shepherd. Now write that down. When you do that, take that time to do it. And when you've done it, write it down. Make note of the day and time that you're asking Jesus to be your own personal shepherd, to be your savior, to be your redeemer, the one who takes your place. And when you're asking for the Father to give you the Holy Spirit, to give you life and, to, and health for your soul, realize that it's his pleasure to do that. God wants to give you what you're desperately in need of. 
Our closing meditation is this. It's from Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. We're reading from the Good News Translation. And it says, Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and discover my thoughts. Find out if there is any evil way in me, and guide me in the everlasting way. He will faithfully do this if we ask this of him. This is the way of Jesus. This is his adventure, to know you and to be known by you. He is willing, if you will be honest and open your heart, to receive his loving and kind gaze of your soul. This has been a presentation of the Jesus Adventure, Chapter 3, Following Jesus, Finding the Way of His Adventure. We discovered here that Jesus is encouraging us to live under the protection of God Most High and stay in the shadow of God All-Powerful. Then we'll say to the Lord, You are my fortress, my place of safety, you are my God, and I trust in you, because Jesus is the Shepherd King of the soul. Thank you for tuning in with us here. The Jesus Adventure is a project of Mission 1711. We hope this has been a blessing to you, encouraging you to dig deeper into knowing Jesus and being known by him, the Lord of the Adventure. Please remember to search the scriptures of the Holy Bible to see if these things are so. Don't take our word for it here. Let's close our time with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending us such an amazing Savior. Thank you that your plan for us is good and gives us the ability to know you through Jesus more every day. As we learn to follow Jesus, please increase our understanding and enable us to more faithfully follow you and your work in Jesus' amazing, precious name. Indeed.